0: Hello and welcome to Crosstalk, where all things are considered, I'm Peter Lavelle. NATO has made it clear it deems its Ukraine proxy war against Russia as existential. As such, Russia, too, sees the conflict as existential. It could not be otherwise. There will be no negotiated end to this conflict. One side will lose. The smart money is not on Biden or NATO. crosstalking NATO's fate. I'm joined by my guest, Lucas Gage in Brick. He's a Marine veteran, author, and philosopher. In Salt Lake City, we have David Pine. He is Deputy Director of National Operations for the Task Force on National and Homeland Security. And in Geneva, we cross to Guy Meton. He is a Swiss journalist, writer, and politician. All right, crosstalk rules in effect. That means you can jump anytime you want, and I always appreciate it. Let's go to uh, Brick first. Uh, Lucas, uh, there's a lot of things in play. There's a lot of moving pieces here. In the last news site, Michael Zelensky is still determined to retake Crimea. We have the uh, Vilnius summit with NATO gathering uh, in about 10 days' time. Um, and we have this prospect of a false flag being mentioned intentionally into the media. There's a lot of scaremongering involved here. Oh, and one more thing, the counteroffensive in Ukraine is not going as, as uh, scheduled. No surprise there. What's the lay of the land, my friend? What do you see here? Go ahead.
1: Well, I see that the Russians are still doing what they you know, are doing tactically, taking their time. They're not trying to put themselves in a meat grinder. And Ukraine is doing the exact opposite. They're being pressured by NATO and Washington to go in at full force. And as you mentioned, it's not working out that well. But they have to sell the story that it's going well, and people aren't really buying it. I see more and more people questioning the narrative. And, you know, Ukraine has been getting very desperate, doing acts of terrorism, stretching back since the beginning of the war, from the bombing of the bridge, uh, assassinating Derek. Dugina, now that the dam being flooded, I mean, all these things, it's not a sign of someone winning the war. So Russians are doing the great—they're uh, doing very well on the battlefield. They're, uh, I've heard people say seven to one kill-death ratios, with the Ukrainians are losing seven people, one Russian. So it's not looking good for them, and I think that the Russians will win out this war. It's just how many people before the negotiations—how uh, many lives are lost before they sit down and actually talk peace. That's really the question.
0: I uh, absolutely agree, and and, uh, on on the back of that, I would suggest that everyone go to Substack and read John Mearsheimer's latest missive, which is uh uh, basically a reflection of Lucas's thoughts and mine. Let me go to Guy in, uh, in Geneva. Um, th- we keep hearing about these different scenarios about negotiations. If the Ukrainians can reconquer a certain amount of land, cutting off the land bridge to U- Crimea, uh, they'll have a better spot at the negotiating table. But there's, there's something wrong with that assumption. What, why would Russia even sit down at negotiating table uh, at this point? Go ahead, in Geneva.
2: Yes, I don't think uh, that uh, uh, Russia is is now ready for, for negotiations, because for Russia, we have to understand that it's exactly an existential threat, because if they go now for negotiation, the war anyway will continue, because Ukrainians will not accept the negotiations. As they said, they are willing to uh to to, to to make war until they will reconquer uh, not only donbass but Crimea. So for Russia it's not the time to de- negotiate. They can negotiate only if uh, uh, Ukraine is uh, ready uh, not to be member of NATO, which is not the case now. And uh, you know this war will continue as long as Americans consider that Russia, is a big threat for their, yeah. their hegemony in the world. Well, that's, that's exactly
0: the point. I'm glad you mentioned that because, David, this is, you know, it, it, it's, it's not what Ukraine wants. I mean, we can listen to what Zelensky, he's a panhandler. He, he just wants money uh, and he wants prestige. He wants, he wants to pump up his ego. Fine. There are plenty of people in the West that want to do that. But, David, it's not what Ukraine wants. It's what Washington wants, okay? And what Washington wants is a strategic defeat of Russia. Well, Russia is not going to go along with that. And you know what? In between time... And, in the middle is Ukraine being grinded into dust david
3: yeah, that's so true uh, um, you know the, uh, the The dirty secret I guess, or the secret that uh Western media refuses to admit is that uh you know of course, Russia invaded ukraine uh did so uh, after being provoked by uh, Biden and NATO. Uh, but uh, Putin has had uh, peace terms on the table since day two of the war. Uh, I've been covering that in the national interest in a, uh, my Real War Substack uh, website. Um, and uh, most recently, in September, uh, following the annexation of, uh, of four uh, Ukrainian oblasts by the Russian Federation, um, uh, the, Russia essentially stated that it had achieved all of its, uh, nearly all of its objectives, and the remaining objectives could be obtained uh, through— uh, peace negotiate with the uh, a negotiated peace deal, and that that offer has been on the table uh, since September. So, uh, Russia has really been the side that's been trying to end the war, um, and the war would have ended uh, if if Russia had its way back in March. March 31st, of course, was when that uh, tentative peace deal was signed between uh, Russia and Ukraine, which Ukraine uh, then ended up uh, completely reneging on after uh, it was pushed to do so by the Biden administration and uh, then Prime Minister of the of, uh, U.K. Uh, Boris Johnson. So um, that would have saved the lives of perhaps 150,000 uh, or more Ukrainians, uh, both sold, you know, soldiers and civilians. Uh, and I do agree with, agree with Lucas that, uh, you know, the Ukrainian counteroffensive has been going very badly uh, with Ukraine suffering uh, about seven to one casualties and three to one overall, uh, more than uh, Russia during the war. So this war is going to end in a negotiated peace settlement. The sooner uh, we do it, the better. Uh, Russia, you know, uh, the key, I think, is to... uh, uh, conclude a Korean-style uh, armistice agreement uh, to end the war, against the current line of control.
0: Yeah, well, you know, I, I've come across this. Let me go to Lucas here. Come across this—the the Korean analogy is that the problem with the, using it in this case here is that the major powers all agreed to the to uh, the armistice in in on the Korean Peninsula. I don't, see, I, don't, I DON'T SEE ANY REASON world, IN THE WORLD WHY RUSSIA HAS TO COMPROMISE ON ANYTHING. WE HAD THE MINSK PROCESS, OKAY. WE ALREADY KNOW WHAT THE NEGOTIATING POSITION OF THE WEST IS, IS TO LIE,
1: LUCAS. That's correct. The agreements were violated. So the Russians have no reason to trust the West at all. They have to win completely in this war. And unfortunately, that's going to take more lives on the Ukrainian side. I mean, of course, the Russians are losing as well, but not as many people as the Ukrainian side. And it's just a tragedy to see yeah. this unfold because it is the West pushing the Ukrainians into the grinder. They don't care about Ukraine. I've said it since I've commented in the beginning of this war long ago. I said they're just using them as cannon fodder because they want to weaken Russia with sanctions and this war and everything is bad backfiring, Peter. Nothing has worked. It has strengthened Russia's economy. It has strengthened their alliance with China and other countries. It has showed the world that the Western hegemony is collapsing. Nobody trusts America anymore. Nobody trusts NATO. People question, why do we even have NATO at this point? It's only causing problems. And, you know, people are saying that the Ukrainians want to join NATO. They don't even have to join at this point because it's already— act. The West is acting as if they're already part of NATO, so they're already putting troops on the ground, mercenaries from several countries, not just Ukraine fighting Russia, it's everyone fighting Russia.
0: Yeah, Guy, I'm I'm so glad Lucas brought that up, because de facto Mm -hmm. Ukraine is already a member of NATO, but without the uh, Article 5 guarantee. I mean, Washington must be popping champagne bottles every day, so the Ukrainians are willing to die, but we don't have to protect them. This is amazing. And the arms producers, they're making tons of money. I mean, this is yeah. the, the best possible outcome, because that the U.S. has no obligation uh, other than to watch, you know, the U- Ukraine grind itself into, into ashes. It's remarkable that they've been able to get an elite in Ukraine to go along with this. Yeah. And even more remarkable, gentlemen, is that Europe goes is being led by the nose by Washington by a guy yeah. that is comatose in the White House. Go ahead and Geneva. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You know, the problem is that nobody cares about Ukrainian. Because Americans don't care about Ukraine, NATO doesn't care uh, too, and even uh, Ukrainian government doesn't care about its own citizens, because uh, Zelensky is ready to fight until the last Ukrainian soldier. So nobody cares. And the Russians, they have no reason to care about Ukrainians if they are ready to fight uh, against the, the last soldier to reconquer Crimea and Donbass which uh, Russia doesn't wish at all, that doesn't wish that for good reasons, because the population, the Russian-speaking people of Donbas, and uh, also Crimea, it was avoided in 2014, but the the Russian-speaking people and ethnic Russians from Donbas are really threatened by the uh, Ukrainian government. They are killed. They were bombed. 14,000 people were killed. Uh, in the last year. So the, for the Russians, they have to protect. That's also a reason why uh, Russia intervened in, in Ukraine. It was to protect the ethnic and Russian-speaking people of the Donbas. Don't forget it. And now, yes, NATO uh, NATO will probably, uh, in Vilnius, uh, uh, the next uh, during the next summit, they will probably uh, give give uh, a, a huge and even higher commitment to Ukraine for fighting to the last. Uh, to but the last but give but give G- they'll
0: give them a lot of things. I have no doubt about that. But David, yes, but, they, but but David, <laughs> they will not give them membership. David, go ahead.
3: That's absolutely correct. You know, it's. Uh, It's an open secret that Ukraine will never join NATO. I mean, certainly it's a de facto NATO member, but there's never been any chance for Ukraine to join NATO for many reasons. Uh, France and Germany vetoed it uh, long ago, back in 2008. Um, Until recently, they held the same position. France has recently come around to the other side. Uh, But Turkey and Hungary would also join Germany in in vetoing NATO membership at any point, even if the war uh, was over. Um, and it also is re- a requirement of NATO membership that uh, a country, a uh, NATO aspirant uh, member, will will not uh, have any territory in dispute, will not have any foreign troops occupying its territory. And uh, that could only be achieved with uh, by Ukraine formally ceding all uh, territory near Russian control uh, to Russia. So. Uh, that's the only prospect they have well, to join NATO. I, I, is- you know,
0: I agree with you from a very technical, legal point of view. But I, 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 don't put it past NATO breaking its own rules. But you, your other reasoning is actually spot on. Gentlemen, I'm going to jump in here. We're going to go to a hard break. And after that hard break, we'll continue our discussion on NATO's fate. Stay with RT. Welcome back to Crosstalk, where all things are considered. I'm Peter LaVelge. To remind you, we're discussing NATO's fate. Okay, let's go back to Lucas. The, the The thing that's making the headlines right now, and I think it's intentional warmongering, is, is the possibility of a false flag. Of course, the narrative is the Russians, for some reason, will damage or bomb a nuclear power plant in its own possession. Um, I, I can't really understand the logic of it, and it's never explained in the mainstream media. But when I hear talk of that, I understand a couple of things. NATO is losing. I'm not going to say Ukraine, because this is NATO's war now. So NATO is losing, okay? And it, it's getting desperate. Uh, I think you probably heard um, uh, Lindsey Graham and Richard Blumenthal talking about a, a Senate resolution that if any kind of nuclear action is uh, happens at that plant, it would be uh, it trigger an um, Article 5 uh, reaction by NATO. Remarkably, uh, Blumenthal said, this is, uh, you know, th- this is not a, a move out of desperation or panic. Well, then why did he w- use the words desperation and panic, okay? It shows to me that they're moving up the escalation ladder. Your thoughts, Lucas?
1: Yeah, if anyone's going to do a false flag, it's going to be NATO and the Ukrainians or some other people doing it, like Nord Stream Pipeline, you know, all these other things that I mentioned, the assassination of Derek Duggan and the bombing of the Crimea Bridge. This is all— uh, 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 this is a sign of someone losing a war. The Russians are not doing these kinds of things. They're not assassinating people. They're not sabotaging anything, like I mentioned the Dan before. So if there's a false flag, it's gonna 100% be NATO and its allies, you know. And that's obvious. To everyone who understands how the script is played, it's always that way. You know, the United States or its allies will say, don't cross this red line, and then suddenly it's crossed by the people that they're paying, whether it be the jihadists in Syria or exactly. some other country. It's always the same setup, and it works all the time. But people. People are starting to see that this is come on, this is makes no sense. So, why would the Russians do this? They wouldn't, just like they didn't bomb Lord's Dream 2.
0: Well, gee, I mean, I'm glad that Lucas brought it up, because the, the scenario that we had with um, uh, uh, the use of chemical—alleged use of uh, uh, a dirty bomb in Syria, this is exactly the same thing that they're trying to convince. And it's warm—in in Ukraine, they're talking about it. I think it's more of a ploy by the, uh, the Zelensky regime to mobilize public opinion as the war um, uh, goes on. And, um, and, of course, it is just to terrify the population um, uh, in that country and further afield. I don't understand why uh, uh, some kind of nuclear reaction wouldn't the wind blow and go east and not only to the west? It doesn't make any sense here. But these people have not been making sense for a very long time. NATO, is NATO's very existence at stake right now? It's put all of its eggs in one basket.
2: Yeah, you know, we have to understand that it's the strategy of the shock and awe, you know, and uh, if you look, since the starting of this war, every two months, you have a big event, like, uh, such as the Bucha Affair, Nord Stream, Kakovka, uh, and so on, in order to provoke a shock in the public opinions in the Western countries in favor of, in for supporting the warmongers. So that's quite possible. For instance, uh, the Zaporozhye uh, power, plant, uh, uh, power plant, can be used as such to create such a shock in order to provoke uh, uh, a bigger support uh, for, for Ukraine, especially if Ukrainian army is losing on the ground, which is the case since the beginning of this counteroffensive. So in my view, it's not uh, impossible at all uh, that uh, a false flag attack against the power plant Zaporizhia can, can happen uh, due to this. We have to, to, to consider that the, the narrative, it's very important for the West, it's another cause of the uh, protact, protracted war, the, as long as the narrative, the disinformation war has uh, to be uh, kept in the West, they, we, they need to support it by such uh, shock events.
0: Yeah, David, I mean, in my introduction, I talked about how this has been turned into an existential war for both sides, but it it was a craven choice on the part of NATO. Um, It's never been explained to Western publics what the strategic value is of Ukraine. Uh, It hadn't been uh, during the Cold War, after the Cold War. Um, It it certainly is of no strategic value to to Europe. And then they throw in the usual—and it's usually these platitudes, as you know, it's about democracy. Well. Zelensky canceled elections, there are no political opposition parties, don't exist, there's no freedom of speech, et um, etc. Uh, et cetera. Et cetera. And, but they still roll this out as it is It is a existential for the existence of democracy in the West in general. I mean, this is this growing absurdity. David.
3: Yeah, I mean, there's—I uh, mean, Zelensky put an end to the, the nonsense that we're defending uh, democracy in Ukraine, because there is no democracy in Ukraine. Uh You know, Zelensky is active to uh, assassinate uh, and imprison all political uh, opposition leaders. He's, uh, you know, outlawed 11 uh, different political parties. He's uh, taken over all opposition TV networks and and had them broadcast uh, Ukrainian propaganda 24-7. So there's really no democracy at all that we're we're doing there. Um, And there's um, uh, no—there's no strategic interest at all. There's no national interest at all for the U.S. to be involved in Ukraine. Uh, and in fact I would argue there's no uh national there's no security interest for NATO to be involved either. I agree. It's an out of military mission. Uh Ukraine is uh right. kind of peripheral to, to NATO and it's a border generally, I mean overall it's a border dispute uh between what Russia and Ukraine over a, a swath of territory about the size of a Baltic nation. So um this is a, a war that has only one ending. Uh Russia overwhelmingly um uh, outmatches, overmatches Ukraine in terms of military power. It's it's got an economy 11 times larger. It's got 35 times more territory. It occupies nearly a fifth of Ukraine, and there's no hope of Ukraine getting any, any of it back. It has five times more people, five times more tanks, uh, artillery systems, and combat aircraft. So we need to recognize that uh, the longer this war goes on, the greater the death and destruction Ukraine, and the more territory that Russia is likely to gain. The worse and the worst peace. Uh, terms that will, will be ultimately be imposed upon Kiev.
0: Well, Lucas, the, there's only one more step to take outside of this false flag, which I anticipate, sorry, but I do. It's the mindset of these people. Um, but what what we have to deal with here is that the, the, the last straw is to, you know, allow Alinsky, Zelensky to convince NATO to join the war. That's the last ultimate step.
1: Yeah, like I said, I think they're pretty much in the war already. I think we all agree that there are many different countries well, no, involved. No, no, no,
0: what I mean, Lucas, is that, you know, they go to war with Russia and then Warsaw is taken out, then Berlin, then Vilnius. That's oh, yeah, what I mean. Yeah. That's what I mean.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, the, the, I think Russia, as you mentioned earlier, this is an existential threat to Russia everything else is just made up you know europe is not threatened by putin he's not going to take over the entire continent like hitler or something like this this is all propaganda and you know yeah if this is this would be the final step if nato goes too far but I don't think Putin wants to do that. He has never said he wanted to do it. No one's saying. No sane commentator or political analyst is saying that he would do it or could could even do it. By the way, so you know that would be the final thing. But I don't see that happening. And you know, would NATO push that far? I think they would. I think the United States, one of the greatest things we're good at, is destroying everything, lying and stealing and cheating, as you know, many of our CIA agents would say. And it's just a very bad situation to see this loss of life for absolutely nothing but special interests. So I I just hope that this war ends sooner than later. I hope it ends within the next year, I would think. I don't think it's going to be another Vietnam for 10, 15 Iraq or whatever the case. Let's hope that's not—I don't know if it's even possible to sustain it that long at this point. But, uh, yeah, the NATO would do whatever they have to do to try to defeat Russia, and they will fail, in my opinion.
0: Yeah, but the the in the process they destroy themselves here. And you know we've we've talked about the lack of democracy in Ukraine, but it's damaging civil liberties in the West as well. I mean, um, people being cancelled and shadow banned and all of this. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I was banned from Twitter for quoting Barack Obama. On about Ukraine, about, you know, I'm a you know, I'm a conservative. I'm the, I don't walk around <laughs> quoting Barack Obama. But when I said, "Well, this is what Obama said about Ukraine," then I was taken off. Thanks to Elon, um, um, uh, Elon, I am back on Twitter again. But I mean, again, it, it, they're they turned this into some kind of moral crusade when it should be about security.
2: Yes, that's that's very clear. That uh, it's also collapse. For the Western value, this Ukrainian war, because um, uh, I, I wrote an article about that to explain in, in what extent uh, this, was, uh, this war was mainly the collapse of the Western Unions because we collapsed the peace, you know, it was, for instance, the European Union was created in order to make peace in Europe, and now the European Union is making war. So that's a very big contradiction, same for human rights. You know, last last week, it was told in the media about this bombing in Kramatorsk restaurant. But the main news was not this bombing. It was it was not this bombing, but it, it was the the it, it was the, um, the the council of the elections, the next presidential and legislative elections next year. In, 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 uh, in Ukraine. So when Zelensky is cancelling its own democracy, there is not a word in the Western media. That's the, the, the paradox of the situation. And that's why all this uh, narrative about the value is just in, in my opinion. <laughs>
0: Absolutely. All right, David, one last question for you. How much of an impact is this going to have on the 2024 election? We have about a minute left.
3: Well, I think it's, it's uh, going to be a huge impact on the 2024 election. Uh, the Biden administration is uh, secretly trying to wind down the war, uh, trying to establish a, a security guarantee for uh, Ukraine that would re- uh, replace uh, NATO membership. And that would only be, uh, be achieved after a negotiated peace. Uh, the problem is they, they're so far behind the power curve. Uh, they haven't been negotiating with Russia at all. They've been throwing a diplomatic temper tantrum with Russia. Um, on the Republican side, the three leading Republican uh, presidential candidates are all supportive of ending the war in Ukraine and trying to reestablish a, a modicum of uh, a better relations with Russia and our uh, U.S. Uh, national security interests. Uh, so that we can counter refocus on China. We should not be involved in, in uh, this, this war at well, all. Well, I, I,
0: I, I, war- I warned for a very long time that Gate would bleed into policy, and this is what we get, okay? A fantasy creating a tragedy. That's all the time we have, gentlemen. I want to thank my guests in Salt Lake City, Brick, and in Geneva. And, of course, I want to thank our viewers for watching us here at RT. See you next time. Remember, crosstalk rules.